0: Good morning, morning. and this morning's scripture comes from the book of Acts chapter 19, and I'll be reading from verses 21 to 41. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, He himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It was about 50 years after the Apostle Paul was spending time in Ephesus and in and in the province of Asia, about fifty years later, that the government, the, the governor of the province of Bithynia, just a little bit further north near the Black Sea, uh, Pliny, he sent a letter to the emperor, who was at the time Trajan. And it was it was a letter asking for some advice. He wanted some economic advice. And he basically said to the emperor, look, our economy is struggling because sales for animal fodder that is fed to sacrificial animals in our temples, the sales are are down. They're way down. And I think the reason is there are a lot of Christians now in our area. Uh, Churches have been growing. Christianity had had been developing for several decades in that part of the world. And the governor of Bithynia thought that the reason, and he was right, the reason was... uh, all these Christians, there are more and more Christians. And the Christians, he said, he said to the emperor, they're not problematic people. I don't have any issue with them. But they have these quirky religious ideas. And they don't participate in the temple cults. And they don't worship our gods. And they don't buy the animals. And they don't buy the meat that was offered to the animals. And so we have fewer animals and we have less fodder. And the whole economy is going down. And he asked the emperor what to do about it. When the spirit of God, and we're seeing this throughout the book of Acts, when the spirit of God moves, now, you know, some of you, some of you know that the spirit of God has moved in you and it's changed you. Well, the spirit of God also moves in families and in neighborhoods in communities in groups of people. Sometimes the spirit of God moves in an entire region or area of the world. And when that happens, the spirit of God brings life into that part of the world. But the Spirit of God also brings death to certain established ways. And we're going to see that today uh, as you were listening to Luke's story. I hope you've already begun to understand that the gospel, the message of Christianity, reconciliation with God, the gospel's impact really is undeniable even to those who deny it. And what I really want to talk to you today about is three things. I want to talk about denying Christianity, denying the gospel, the good news, promoting the good news, and embracing the good news. Some people deny the gospel. Uh, Some people promote the gospel. They talk about it and share it. Uh, Some people embrace it. They make it their own, and it changes them. And I really want to begin by asking you a question. I want to open this up. Why do people, why do you think, People reject Christianity. Why do they deny it? Maybe you're a Christian and you've talked to people about your faith and sometimes they say, well, I'm not interested in that or they disagree with you. What reasons do they give or have they given? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you know exactly why you're not a Christian and and you have in some sense denied uh, the Christianity, the Christian message. Why do people deny Christianity? I already see a hand, yeah.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: okay. And, um, so it's hard for them to. Into okay, thank you, Beth. So you, you really kind of said, I heard two things. One is um, people don't want to be pushed into thinking a certain way or believing a certain thing, but then they also have a problem with people who live hypocritically, who claim to be a Christian but don't act like it. Yep. All right, so kind of two things there. Okay, good. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Jed? People want to be of Okay, use the idea. They don't like the idea of their life over to giving, giving Okay. Uh, people have a hard time giving their life up to somebody else, not being the master of their own life, giving up control. Okay. Yeah. Too many rules. Too many rules. Okay. Um, you know, uh, as a Christian, I've heard a lot of people talk about Christianity to me. And then I realize they perceive it as as a list of rules. And who likes a lot of rules? Um, yeah. History? Jesus' name is not mentioned in history books except for the Bible. So maybe they're reading, you know, United States history or ancient Roman history and... Chinese and he doesn't come up. Okay, so they kind of take it from a, they don't think Jesus is historic, is a historical figure and they try and, okay, good, good thought. Yeah. Okay, so the name of Jesus has been used by some people throughout history to do terrible things which kind of gets back to the hypocrisy concept. Great. So there's kind of a bad taste in their mouth, right? Yeah. Um, what I talk to don't believe in this Christianity doesn't make logical sense from their, from their um, perspective. What perspective usually is that? miracles. Okay. Yeah. How about one more? Okay. Okay. So, um, Bob says some people don't, don't accept or or reject Christianity because they, they tried it and it didn't work, but the version of it not working according to what Bob said is they asked God for something and he didn't give it to them. Okay. Thank you. Good thoughts. That's a good start. Okay, so I think there's something as we, read, as we read Luke's story of what happened in Ephesus at this point. I think it's important to remember that people who deny the gospel are, just like you and me, proud of their culture. And if they're not proud of their culture or if they're not proud of their way of life, they are devoted to it. And I think we need to start there. Riots broke out In Ephesus because Christianity had impacted the economy and Christianity had impacted the local sense of civic identity, cultural identity. Christianity was progressing through the Apostle Paul's ministry. If you go back in the chapter to verses, uh, Acts chapter 19 verses 11 and 12, Luke tells us that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. It was happening everywhere in that region. Uh, And then we're told in verse 17 that the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, that many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Luke also said, those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. If you're familiar with some history, it kind of almost looks like a revival. Uh, but it wasn't a revival of a faith that was there previously. It was this, this new revival of, of life and hope because Paul was spreading the message of Jesus Christ. But this guy named Demetrius, Luke tells us, wasn't happy, to, happy about it. He said, it says that, that Demetrius got together all the silversmiths and people of similar trades. So some scholars think he was probably the master of the silversmiths trade guild. So think of Demetrius as the union president, okay? The union president of the silver workers is pretty upset right now because business is bad and it's affecting everybody in the union. So Demetrius and uh, his fellow tradesmen, uh, they made these little statues of Artemis. She was a big deal in that part of the world. Artemis was this goddess and and, and people there worshipped her. And, and they had all these little silver statues of Artemis and, or, or these little silver temple replicas where Artemis was supposed to be, little shrines. And they made them. They were everywhere. Uh, where I grew up, people were very religious. And there were statues of saints everywhere. Uh, St. Saint Paul, St. Saint Peter, the Virgin Mary, oddly enough, some statues of Jesus. And people would stick them right on their dashboards. As they drove around and people would put them in their wind in in their windowsills. Are you walking by on the street? You see statues of people just sitting in the windowsills. I even once saw a statue of the Virgin Mary in somebody's front yard and she was she was encapsulated in a bathtub. Somebody had taken an old bathtub and inserted it halfway into the earth to kind of house the Virgin Mary. And I just saw these things, statues everywhere. Well, if you went to ancient Ephesus, you would see statues of Artemis everywhere. Big ones, little ones, private ones, ones you can put in your pocket, ones you can take with you. And there was a big business that supported this, and it kind of kept the local economy going. And people had jobs, and people had things to do, and people took pride in this. So Demetrius doesn't like the fact that sales are down. Sales for silver sales for Artemis action figures uh, are down and, and he doesn't like it. Now, Artemis was a big deal. So the Romans called her Diana, uh, but to the Greeks and the people before them, she was Artemis and and Ephesus was like that was her hometown. There was this legend that a meteor came out of the sky and it landed in the form of this magnificent statue of the goddess Artemis. And it was housed in the great temple of Artemis in Ephesus. And the temple was huge. It was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was all there in Ephesus. And these people were proud of their town. And they were proud of their god. And they were proud of their temple. Uh, and culture and business, it all, it all It all worked around this whole identity of Artemis. So uh, Demetrius is not very happy. As, As a matter of fact, I should show you this. This is an ancient, I guess archaeologists found this. It's an ancient prayer to Artemis. Oh, great Artemis of the Ephesians, help display your power upon this young man who has died. I guess somebody had died. For all the Ephesians know, both men and women, that all things are governed by you. And that great powers come to us through you. Give now to your servant what you are able to do in this regard. Raise up your servant. So sales sales for Artemis figures are down because Paul. Luke tells us in verse 10, earlier in the chapter, Paul had stayed in the area. He's on his third missionary journey, and he had been in the area for over two years. And he planted a church in Ephesus, and he lectured and taught in the the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Uh, And then he went around in the region and moved out into the province of Asia, and Christianity spread now for a few years. And Paul, years later, would write a letter to Christians in Ephesus, and in that in that province, and this is what he said, not about Artemis, but about Jesus. He said, God, with power, raised Jesus from the dead, and that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Jesus' feet. So Demetrius responds shrewdly. He, it, he doesn't just make it about money, although it is, of course, about money. It's his livelihood and many other people. But he's, he's shrewd and creative in what he does. In verse 27, he appeals to everybody's sense of religious devotion and their cultural identity. He says in verse 27, there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. Now before you start thinking. um, Before you think little of Demetrius. Put yourself in his position. And people like him. What if your own sense of Maryland identity. And pride and prosperity were threatened. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Imagine if something like this would ever happen. You have this football team that you just love. And one dark night, when you were all asleep, someone stole your football team and took them to Cleveland. <laughs> what if something... How would you feel about something like that? Somebody said enraged. <laughs> Not many years ago, if you're from... If you're from this part of the state, the Baltimore Ravens practiced and did training camp every year right here. Literally a two-minute walk from where we're standing right now at McDaniel College. And this town and this whole area took a lot of pride and had identity in the fact that the Baltimore Ravens played here, uh, uh, trained here. And then they left. And, and some people that I have talked to have still not gone over the fact that the Ravens don't practice here anymore. Uh, so think of it this way, okay? And so Demetrius uh, and and his tradesmen, okay, uh, they they basically incite a riot. It's, it's really a mob. That, that, that's what it is. People are just walking down the street in Ephesus, going to get a Starbucks or something, and they get swept up into this mob. And they don't even know where they're going. They end up in this theater. It's the amphitheater in... um. In Ephesus and it was huge it was built in the side of a mountain and you could fit like 25,000 people in there and all of a sudden this crowd just develops and, and grows and people are angry and furious and and they they find some Christians Paul and some of his companions and apparently they find some Jews and they they put them all together and they rush them into the theater and they're angry and and, and it really is a mob because uh, Luke tells us some people didn't even know what they were there for they were just there and they were all excited. And, and now, at one point, a Jewish man who apparently is not a Christian tries to stand up and speak to the crowd. And scholars think it's because the Jews who were not Christians were trying to disassociate themselves from the Christians, saying that we're not affiliated with these people. But ancient pagan worshipers in Ephesus could have cared less. Uh, the, whether they were Jews who worshipped one God or Christians who worshipped one God, They didn't worship Artemis. So the man stands up and tries to defend himself. And they find out he's not a worshiper of Artemis. And they boo him off the stage. And Luke tells us that for over two hours they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they went on and on and on. Imagine a European soccer stadium. Right? where people just start shouting and singing these chants for their team, and then they start shouting and singing chants against the goalie, right? trying to get him off his game. We used to do it at hockey games in, in college. Just shout and yell at the goalie, sing at him, taunt him, say nasty things about his mother, and hopefully he'll let, he'll let some goals in. So this is going on in the amphitheater in Ephesus. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When Jesus moves into a place, when Jesus shows up in a culture or in a family or maybe in your life, to use a reference from the book of Exodus, he he judges the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt, uh, they start crumbling uh, because the spirit of God forces the powers that be out of their comfortable strongholds in a culture so that the gatekeepers of those institutions... The gatekeepers, the influential movers and shakers in that group of people or in that society, um, they lash back against Christianity. And usually, as in Demetrius's case, usually it's not objective. It's not scientific. It's usually personal. If you talk to people who aren't Christians and ask them why they're not, you keep talking and you keep talking and you keep peeling back the layers of the onion, you will find out that the reason is very personal and subjective and not as objective as they like to think it is. But knowing that, okay. And knowing that people take pride in their culture and, and are devoted to their way of life and to their identity based on what they believe and how they act and where they work and where they live, knowing that, you know, people who promote Christianity really should be respectful of culture. Paul and his companions were respectful of the Ephesians culture. And the proof of that is in what the city clerk says, because somebody got the crowd to calm down and disperse. And it was an He was a leader in the city was a city clerk. And he gets up and he, and he was apparently he had a level head. Because he says this in verses 37, and and then I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm not going to read everything he said, but he says this. You have brought these people who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess into this place. Uh, And he says, we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. He says they're not, Paul and his friends are not sacrilegious, which that, the word literally meant temple robber. So the idea is, Paul and his companions, these Christians among us, are not desecrating the great temple of Artemis, and they're not bad-mouthing her. Now, Paul was going around, Demetrius was right, he was going around saying, hey, you know, that's just a rubber chicken, don't you know? Uh, Paul was going around saying, the emperor is naked, can you not tell? Paul was saying there's a difference between Jesus and other gods. Uh, but he was being respectful. And the clerk is showing. They said, these guys, he, Paul's not attacking the temple. And he's not attacking Artemis. He's just, he's just telling you about what he believes. Um, and he goes, and you know what? We have no good reason to be here riding like this. There is no justification for your rage and for congregating like this. Go through the legal process if you have a problem. And I think the town clerk's perspective is really important because we see that Paul and company were respectful. It reminds me of what we looked at last year when we studied 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, where the apostle said to Christians living um, in in non-Christian communities, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When Christians are respectful of culture and when they're consistent with their beliefs, I think it's proof that there may be personal objections to Christianity, but there really are no rational ones. Think about that if you reject Jesus, if you don't follow him. There are legitimate personal reasons why you may not follow him, but they are probably, the more you think about it, not very rational and not very objective. One scholar said, the only thing heathenism can do against Paul is to shout itself hoarse. The pastor, uh, the preacher, James Boyce of a few decades ago said this. It is no exaggeration to say. That there is not a soul living in the world today. Who worships Artemis of the Ephesians. While there are millions. Who worship Jesus Christ. And would willingly die for him. How did Christianity triumph. Um, in a situation like that. Uh, Boyce says it was not. Now if you're a Christian. This is important. Um. uh, James Boy said it was not by appealing to numbers. It was not by a play on the emotions. The Christians did not circulate a petition to see if they could get 51% of the Ephesians to sign it, saying Artemis is no goddess and the God of the Old Testament is the true God. Uh, The Christians did not have a mass rally. Uh, They didn't send Christians into the amphitheater the way Demetrius and his crew had gotten people together. They didn't sing emotional songs. Uh, they, they did exactly what Jesus Christ had done and what he had sent them into the world to do. They preached the gospel so that men and women got converted. And once they were converted, they taught them how to live for Jesus. And Paul had been doing that and his friends had been doing that in Ephesus and in Asia for two or three years. Uh, and the result was the economy was changing. And some people didn't like it. I'm trying to think of a contemporary analogy, and this is just kind of where I'm at, and Becky and I are at in life right now. Um, so youth sports are a very big deal for middle-class Americans. Youth sport, and, and if you have kids and they're little, you're going to see very soon. Youth sports are a big deal to Americans. Sports is a big deal in our culture, right? And I love sports. Um... But sports are a big deal, and, and Becky and I have found it very, very challenging to preserve our family time and, more importantly, to preserve worshiping with um, other Christians um, uh, on Sundays, especially Sunday mornings, because sports leagues now operate on Sunday mornings. It, it's, when I was a kid, you almost never saw it, uh, but now it's, it's pretty much everywhere. It's it's hard for us to find teams and athletic leads for our children that don't require on a weekly basis athletic activity while we are worshiping as a church. Uh, it's it's very hard for us um, to to figure that out as a as a family. And I don't want to be judgmental, but I just I've thought about this in the past. Um, if Christians in our society um, prioritized worshiping together weekly um over other activities like youth sports i think sunday morning sports leagues would probably have to shut down because i don't think they could get enough kids to play on sunday morning they'd have to find other times to play if enough christians just said yeah well you know we're we're committed to the team and we've committed our kids just just not sunday morning because that's when our church that's when we worship with other christians Um, i just wonder about that If, if enough christians just said well we want to respect our culture and, and we want to be good citizens, but there are just some, some lines that we're not going to cross because we have something better to do and something better to hope in. I just wonder in what ways our society would actually change. So if you're a Christian, I, I just think we should pray that our faith really has an impact that affects some type of change in, in the people and in the circumstances around us, some type of a noticeable change. Um, as we see here in Ephesus and the apostle Paul would say this to the Corinthians, you know, uh, to some people, uh, uh, we are the smell of death, uh, but to some people we're the fragrance of life. If we're just the smell of death to everybody, there's something wrong with our Christianity. What's going to happen is some people are going to be encouraged and, and some are not. But even to those who deny Jesus, his impact in their world and in their lives is going to be, as in Demetrius' case, undeniable. Culture is powerful. And there's a, have you felt it? There's there's always peer pressure in our culture. There's always pressure to bend to the established ways of your culture. Have you not felt that? There's cultural peer pressure. It doesn't go away when you get out of junior high. And, and, and it's so strong. There's a mob mentality in our world. Uh, uh, and it's very easy to bend to it and to acclimate to it. But let me just ask you a question. Regardless of your background and where you're coming from, what have the gods of our culture told you you will lose if you reject them? Ask yourself that this week. What are the gods of our culture told you you will lose if you reject them? And what they say is important. And maybe it's not a statue of Artemis. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a movie or what you hear in the media. I don't know. Um, But what are you afraid of losing? Because of the pressure of our culture to conform to it. You know, those who embraced the gospel in Ephesus, I think they embraced Jesus because they saw that Jesus could offer them what Artemis could not. Jesus could offer them what Artemis could not. You don't reject Jesus in neutrality. You you, you don't just say, I'm not a Christian. That's not for me. Jesus is not for me. And as if that's a neutral position, it's not a neutral position. It It means you're you're choosing something else. Ask yourself, what are you choosing? Who are you choosing? If not Jesus. Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. So the Bible, sh- the Bible tells us that there really was a sacred s- stone that came out of the sky. It was an Artemis, but there was a sacred stone. That came down from heaven. And, and some people just trip over it. But some people find that. If they stand on it. And use it as a foundation. It transforms them. It changes everything. And, and, and that's Jesus. He's the stone that. Yeah some people do reject. But if you see him for who he truly is. He will be beautiful and marvelous in your eyes. Ask yourself, is, is it reasonable to refuse the creator who respectfully entered into your culture? Because Jesus became one of you. He didn't, he didn't come to earth to kill our culture and destroy it. He came to redeem it. He came to make it what it was always meant to be. And the proof that he respects your culture is he became a human being. And he lived your life and he walked through what you walk through and he suffered through what you suffer. And he died in your place on the cross. And he rose from the dead, proving that he is greater than Artemis. So, just um, ask yourself, am I struggling with Christianity because I have an objective reason? Or because it's actually personal? I think you're going to find that it's personal. Um. If you're a Christian, ask yourself, what are the gods of my culture tempting me to do or to think or to be so that I don't have the kind of witness Paul did where where people were angry with him, but nobody could accuse him of hypocrisy. Nobody could could accuse him of being a bad citizen. You know, think about that. Um, The gospel's impact is, it's undeniable. The the, the true, true Christian impact, it's undeniable. Even by people who want to deny it. It's undeniable. So, so I pray that as a church, our faith and how we practice our faith, that, that it would be authentic enough to really impact change around us. And, and, you know, we have to be respectful and shouldn't be surprised when it, in, it, it infuriates some people and incenses them. But we should be hopeful and we should expect that for some people it will be the aroma of life. And they will see that Jesus offers them what the gods of this world cannot. And they'll join us. Let's pray.